Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I've been underserved by the bank, but actually I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to still find alternative ways to grow my business. And they've come to us, we've got them the funding products they need. And then the same banks that said no to them when they first started, now that they're doing two, three, four, five, ten million in revenue, have come back to us. Lendo was a platform and said, how do we now work with these clients? And that's why we call them underestimated. And we have a number of examples like that. There are great founders out there. They're great at doing what they do, which is you know, running their business. But what they need is someone who can actually break down all of the options that are available to them, but also someone that can give them that confidence to actually apply once they've broken down those options. Because the fear of rejection, the fear of the unknown, the fear of not knowing what you're getting yourself into is often what prevents people from going ahead and saying, actually, I believe I can do this. I mean, in one case, we recently done a syndication facility for an entrepreneur of 1.6 million, and we raised that for them in the space of seven months. But when I think about the success stories and I think about the case studies, it's, it's our whole portfolio. We've actually grown with our portfolio. The legendary Silicon Valley venture capitalist, Doug Leone of Sequoia, says he looks for spiky founders. Founders who have broken expectations, who stand out from their peers and strike their own path in one way or another. On this measure, founding a business when your parents are wealthy and well-connected and you went to an Ivy League school is not necessarily spiky. Doing the same when you had to first overcome poverty or when you had to sell everything, borrow the shortfall, learn a new language and travel across the world to make it work, well, that might be. But the direction in which VC dollars move doesn't always reflect this. That situation is often described as being a problem of underrepresentation. But is that really the right word? At least to my ear, representation better describes what a government does or a government body. Underrepresentation being a problem fixed by demanding your right to self governance. But venture capital is capitalism in one of its purest forms a field where capital doesn't represent you, it takes a bet on you. So when 12% of the population gets only 1% of the investment, it is not because they're underrepresented, it's because they're underestimated. And that's a problem with an entirely different solution. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Demi Arayo, thank you so much for coming with me today to this episode of How to Lend Money to Strangers. No problem. It is a pleasure to be recording another one here in Amsterdam with Money 2020. Demi, I'm not much of a movie guy myself, but strangely enough, when I heard the origination story of Lendo, the first thing that came to my mind was this old Hugh Grant movie, uh, The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain. That idea of kind of fate acting unfairly on a, a good community and then a band of plucky friends having to get together to put things right. So I might be over-romanticizing the founding of Lendo here, but 
Tell me the story about Demi Arayo and his plucky friends who <laughs> saved the church and uh, how that planted the seed for what's become Lendo. No, most definitely. It's quite interesting, actually, because I mean, I'm not a movie guy myself, but I can see why someone would see our story as, as a movie because it, it definitely ended with a happy ending. But, you know, in, in, in all reality, there was a challenge that the church had and a few friends and I were working in banking and we felt actually there's something that we need to do about this. And that's why we came together. I mean, it wasn't just us that saved the church. I think there were, it was a group effort. So there were other factors that influenced us being able to bring this money together and effectively ensuring that the church remained in operation. But we played a significant role and we'd, we'd done it because we felt we had to. It, it, it was the right thing to do. And in doing that, there was a lot of research that went into it. And it was from those research facts, i.e. 50% of businesses in the UK at that time that were applying for funding for the first time from the High Street Bank were being rejected and only 20% were going to find an alternative. It was seeing those facts that made me say, hold on a minute, this isn't just a church problem. This is a big problem. And that's how Lendo started. And that's why I kind of was led to continue the, continue the journey and, and, and keep saving buildings and, and so on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because obviously that isn't a market where people are trying to give the money away as well. So it's clearly a problem in the system rather than a lack of, of supply or anything like that. So we'll obviously get into some of the details, but maybe we'll start at the high level. You went into the founding of Lendo. You had done a little bit of entrepreneurship yourself. You'd also done some investment banking and huge corporate projects. So you had experience of ownership from you know, the very small to, to the very large, which I'm sure made for a good foundation. But what is Lendo and kind of what did you take from your early career in, in how you shaped and built that? Yeah, great question. So Lendo itself is an access to finance platform, particularly for underestimated entrepreneurs. And I think we'll probably go into what underestimated entrepreneur means a bit later, but to cut it very short, those that have thin credit files, either because they've been excluded from the main banking systems or actually they decided not to apply to those main banking systems. And effectively, the way Lendo was built, I would say a lot of it came from inspiration that I took whilst I was working in investment banking. In the sense that we was doing quite large fundraisers with medium to large size corporates in emerging Africa and these businesses could be turning over very easily 100 to 200 million but because they didn't have the right governance structures they found it very difficult to raise capital and actually I found that people in the diaspora in the UK also had that issue right where they may have had smaller businesses but they didn't have the right governance structure to kind of continue raising that finance that they needed and I think that's probably the main thing I took away from my time in corporate investment banking and then my time in entrepreneurship that, that just made me very audacious and it, it gave me the belief that actually I can do something about this and if anyone's going to do it it should be someone like myself so I think that's what I've taken from my past experiences um, and brought into Lendo. One of the things I, I love is that term underestimated uh, entrepreneurs because the fact that somebody isn't taking these bets does speak a lot to where, where their estimations are, what they think this uh, entrepreneur can achieve. And it does reframe the question in, in, in an interesting way. And yeah, a different solution then. And so maybe it's a good to, to talk a bit more of the nuts and bolts. You're a, a platform that's linking up funders and borrowers in that space. But can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in, in product terms, in practical terms, and maybe also about some of those, uh, those entrepreneurs? What sort of entrepreneurs, what sort of businesses are you seeing? I think in regards to kind of the, the nuts and bolts and how it typically tends to work is we're working on the left side of the marketplace, which is the funding providers with a whole range of funding providers that are not looking at your traditional data points. So sometimes these can be family offices that can be a bit more a bit more exotic about how they provide finance. So it could be venture debt providers that actually, because they're getting a, um, some sort of convertible equity in this instrument that they're given to the entrepreneur, they can take on a little bit more risk. 
And sometimes it could be traditional alternative finance providers that are more willing to look at alternative data points than your typical banks would, right? And then on the right side of the marketplace, you're looking at entrepreneurs usually that have new age business models, definitely much more now than before. And I say that because COVID created this this vacuum in the funding landscape, a particular type of entrepreneur. And that was the entrepreneur that either pivoted their model during COVID or started during COVID because the banks decided in the UK in particular, actually, we're going to shut our doors. We're not going to give people bank accounts. We're not going to give people access to finance. I think it was about 3.5 million CBO applications during COVID and only 1.45 were accepted. So that's 57% of the businesses in the UK or that applied that were rejected. And I mean, a lot of these entrepreneurs went on to say, well, I've been underserved by the bank, but actually I'm going to defy the odds. I'm going to still find alternative ways to grow my business. And as I achieve and the banks start coming back to me, that's what turns me into an underestimated entrepreneur. And we've had tons of them. We've had clients that unfortunately, you know, the banks may have said no to them for a bank account. They've had to open a bank account with a very small bank, a very niche bank that don't offer lending. They've come to us, we've got them the funding products they need. And then the same banks that said no to them when they first started, now that they're doing two, three, four, five, ten million in revenue, have come back to us, Lendo as a platform and said, how do we now work with these clients? And that's why we call them underestimated. And we have a number of examples like that. I mean, we have one client, they are in the e-commerce space. So as you can imagine, during COVID, e-commerce boomed, right? And, you know, it was a great opportunity for whoever was in that space to really take advantage of that uplift in traction with everyone being at home. So they went from doing pretty much zero in their first year to doing two million in year two. And last year, just gone, they've done 10 million in revenue. Now that client still is still struggling today to get an, a bank account with a main high street lender. So as you can imagine, you know, that kind of quality client shouldn't be in that position. But because of the fact that they've gone through a uh, a vacuum or a season of, of COVID where there wasn't much access, they've they've had to suffer, but they've had to overcome and they've managed to do that. And that's why we that's why we call them underestimated. In the uh, sort of entrepreneurship space, in the founding space, there is this survivor bias that is what makes the strongest entrepreneurs. You know, Richard Branson will talk about how overcoming dyslexia is a key part of uh, what he did and how he achieved what he did later on in life. And there are these hard situations that once people have come through, you, well, one, you can see who, who managed to get through. That tells you a lot about their grit and their yeah. ability to get by. But also, it's taught them a lot in doing so. And I think that traditional finance providers don't really have a way to do that, which is why it's interesting to hear the sort of blend you're talking about of, of who's getting involved in the platform. Here, there is more of that appreciation of what it means to be an investor, people more willing to take risks. At the same time, those people, I imagine, would be really hard to find if you are just a founder and a founder without the community that would exist if you came through a traditional Ivy League school and you had a accelerator or something who could point you to all these things. You know, if you're just somebody who started a business in your in the back room during covid you wouldn't even know that these sort yep. of things i mean i didn't know what a family office was until <laughs> my friend was running one it was you know it's a lot of gaps in the financial world that can make people unaware and weary of approaching systems yep. that exist it's really interesting you say that actually because that's one of the main problems we solve which is the fear of rejection and financial literacy right and what you often find is that there are great founders out there. They're great at doing what they do, which is you know, running their business, but they're not CFOs. 
they're not financial experts. And what they need is someone who can actually break down all of the options that are available to them, but also someone that can give them that confidence to actually apply once they've broken down those options. Because the fear of rejection, the fear of the unknown, the fear of not knowing what you're getting yourself into is often what prevents people from going ahead and saying, actually, I believe I can do this. I believe I can access this finance. Yeah, and it's just some of the benefits, some of the privileges that come up from growing up within sort of wealthy environments or relatively wealthy environments even is that awareness of how business works but also the appreciation for debt in different roles where if we're talking about you know, credit awareness the vast majority of the messaging will be be very careful about taking out debt most definitely and that's probably the safest default for most people but actually when it comes to business there, there is a very real and very beneficial role to taking on debt or, or giving away equity but in many cases debt is the best option to start a business and you know we've had a very bad history in the uk with payday lending and you can imagine coming out of one of the communities that were targeted by payday lenders exactly your parents might have really suffered or people you know certainly would have suffered and to then say well i want to take out a business loan the most important thing in your life is like i'm growing this business Business. no i don't want to risk it i agree with you totally i mean i think you know it's a really interesting point that you make actually because One of the things that we're constantly doing is having to explain to founders that consumer lending and business lending is very different. In the UK, when you're taking on a consumer loan, it's going against your personal credit profile. When you're taking on a business loan, if your business has the capacity to take on that loan, it's going against your business's profile, which is actually a separate entity to you. And actually, when you think about it, a lot of these businesses that are being started by these underestimated entrepreneurs that are in these kind of new industries like last mile delivery, e-commerce, things that may not be able to attain equity investors immediately. The only way to scale was actually to raise either family and friend money, which is a form of equity or debt. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And if you're too concerned about taking debt or taking credit to scale that business, how are you ever going to get that business to where it needs to be? I mean, when you when you think about like genuine wealth creation, I mean, not every one of these businesses is looking to be or can be a unicorn. But if we think about the modern route to generational wealth it's through owning the business you create and the only way you can really do that is taking on debt because if you're giving away equity as the alternative it's more controllable at the start but you know if you do turn your zero into two million into 10 million into 20 million into 200 million in a few years time you've given away so much of your business early on business right yeah it's it's it's, um i think it's a dichotomy that a lot of founders find themselves in i've got this great business in order to take it to the next level i need to raise some sort of financing I don't know what options I have available. I don't understand venture debt. I don't understand revenue-based finance. I don't understand even what a term loan is, but I do understand that I need money. So 
equity seems sometimes like the best bet because it's someone giving me money supposedly for free. But actually, when you look at things like the IRR that a lot of these venture capitalists or these, a lot of these angel investors are looking for on that capital they're giving you, and then you look at the IRR based on the loans that are available to you, you begin to realize quite quickly, actually, if I was a bit more savvy taking this lending and having more ownership of my business, more rights with what I'm going to do with this money, it makes a lot more sense considering how far I've taken my business already. I'm not saying equity is bad, equity's got its part to play, but I think like in that case study that we spoke about when you've taken a business to 10 million and you own almost 90 to 95, 95% of it and your family and friends on the rest, you want to try and retain as much more of it as you can rather than giving away a large slice to, a, to, to, to an equity investor. Yeah, and you say Lindo is a, is a platform and I think one of the key things in platforms and to slightly echo what I spoke about with Craig yesterday, they also create all the other benefits that come with that. So if you've got different businesses with similar owners who've had similar stories, and you've got investors who have bought in particularly for that, maybe of family offices that have been funded by uh, successful uh, immigrants, by successful Most people from, from, from these communities. You're already creating that sort of world that does exist currently in Silicon Valley, but seems very alien if you're coming from one of the non-traditional uh, Most investment worlds. And I think that's the power, right? That's the power of kind of building communities on platforms or building platforms. It creates these communities that naturally start working in tandem with one another without the platforms, you know, without any kind of work from the platform. Just because you've got a network, you can kind of introduce one customer to another. And before you know it, they're doing business together or one investor to another. And before you know it, they've done another three, four investments to friends of that first person they invested in. And that's really what you want to create, right? And I guess it kind of goes back all the way to the church, which is in communities that understand one another, transactions can be made quite easily. And I think that's what happened with the church, the transaction and the commitment to make that transaction happen quite quickly because we we, we understood the church. We understood what was going on. We understood why, after a while, why the banks weren't lending and we understood how we can protect ourselves if we were to lend. And, you know, a transaction happened. And just like with the church, I'm sure there's so many other businesses that through the Lendo platform have continued to thrive and, and, and have been saved. Um, to some degree, so yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about how they're doing it. Some of the sort of processes in in the in the lending. I see at lendo. dot com, you you talk about looking beyond just the traditional credit score. But how, how, what does that look like? How are businesses evaluated, and who does the screening? How do the funders see and choose whether or not they're going to uh, make a loan? It's a bit of both that happens, and that's because when we initially started Lendo, we was a balance sheet lender, so we actually have underwriting experience. But when we came to COVID and we realized that actually trying to continue providing balance sheet lending alongside the government facilities that were available, the better thing to do was to refer customers coming to us to the best options. We realized that we had to take a step back and come off balance sheet. And in doing so, we built what was more of a platform, more of a brokerage product. And since then, we still take that part of the AML KYC. But that second part of the credit analysis, we do a very touch light five C's of credit model where we'll try to understand that person's story, understand their capacity, their capital, their con- the condition we're in, i.e. is it COVID, um, their character. And also, you know, other things like, you know, do they have the collateral? And then we would refer that information to our funding providers and then they will conduct further analysis and then they will provide a yes or a no or an indication as to whether or not they're going to provide the financing. So that's really how it works. But I guess what we're doing that's quite different is we're looking at some alternative data points, right? Your typical bank would want three years worth of annual accounts, profitable year on year. 
we understand that actually post-COVID, some of these businesses have taken advantage of COVID. They've gone to do one, two, three, four, five million. And actually just looking at their bank statements, you can kind of get an idea of where they're going with this business. And you can kind of get an idea of how, uh, how can I put this best? I wouldn't say how repeatable their sales process is, but you can see if they've done this six months in a row, month on month, what's stopping them from doing it 12 months in a row? What's stopping them from doing it 24 months in a row? And taking that kind of revenue-based finance data and providing that to funding providers, be it family offices, be it uh, alternative finance providers, is often what they'd want to see to say, actually, I'm willing to overlook the fact they haven't filed their first set of accounts. And I'm willing to look at what has happened in the shorter or the medium term to this business. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, the, the, the heart of it, right? Bringing the right sort of funders in that are also not just looking for a big, steady old business that has got three years of yeah. the same performance, but somebody who's on uh, that app ramp. I guess one of the problems or challenges in serving these sort of underestimated entrepreneurs is that when you set up Lendo, you put yourself in that same bucket, right? Your business is all about people that by definition, investors and backers are nervous of. So what was your experience like actually getting the business off the ground when you're saying, look, I'm going to lend to these people mm-hmm. or I'm going to facilitate lending to these people that you're already, <laughs> you're yeah, already not yeah. <laughs> all that confident in? <laughs> I think initially it was, you know, it was quite hard to begin with as, as, as anything, right? So the first few years I was still working at a fintech. I was kind of working on Lendo in the evenings. But what I had was, you know, kind of case studies case studies to prove that actually this works and i think you know because of that family and friends or people that were close to those communities were willing to give us on lending or capital to on lend but when covid happened and actually the unfortunate death of george floyd um, took place people really started to wake up to the access to finance problem within a lot of the markets that we were serving not just because we had a significant proportion of of our portfolio that are from black and ethnic minority backgrounds but also because people actually took a step back and looked and said hold on a minute is access to finance fair are other markets receiving access to finance? And since COVID and since the death of George Floyd, not only have we received backing from corporates, but we've also received a lot more backing from investors. I mean, we have gone off balance sheet, which probably has a part to play as well because it's less risk, but we've definitely received a lot more sponsorship from the wider investment community. And I guess that's because I guess they caught onto the problem a bit later than we did. Yeah, and I suppose in some ways... It doesn't sound very good to say this when I'm not meaning it as badly as it comes out, but it's in some ways outsourcing that understanding of the communities that they didn't come from. I should have had the numbers here because I, I looked at them before we spoke, but I'm, I think I'm going low when I say it's like 95% of venture capital money is managed by white men. You know, the percentages are different when you look at the number of employees and things, but when you look at actual dollars controlled. Mm. And not every white man came from so the privileged traditional route, but I mean it's very hard for you to then, even with good intentions, understand how to invest and how to pick and how to understand which businesses resonate with their communities. But here's somebody who, one, understands what I'm trying to do. They understand the investment game and they understand all the things that I need in place. But also, they're bringing together these communities that are finding the businesses that they want and support. It is a big benefit to that side of the industry too, to to have the best of both worlds. So I can see it really fitting in that ecosystem, but at the same time, hopefully also just a growing appreciation that the communities that have for a while been served by brands, brands have been willing to sell to the communities, but saying, well, are you actually willing to put your money where your mouth is and also invest? No, most definitely. No, most definitely. I totally, totally, totally agree. And obviously you talked about use cases and and I guess human stories are really where where it comes from. Are there any other case studies that you put front and center when you want to talk about the good that Lendo can do to, to founders? To business. There's, there's, there's too many. I mean, I, 
let's put it this way, right? We we started lending off um, on on balance sheet in 2018, and I would say the majority of the businesses we were serving at that time um, were probably generating anything between 250 to 400 thousand pounds at max. Today, we're not on lending. We're not lending from our balance sheet anymore, so we're off balance sheet, so we can do much bigger tickets. But just to give you an indication of the size of the businesses we're working with now, they're typically doing between two and two to ten million in revenue annually. So I don't know what kind of like I don't know if that's ten x twenty x, but that has not only happened with the revenue that they're generating, but that's also happened with employees. I mean, yeah. you know, many of these businesses that may have taken fifteen thousand pound from us when it was balance sheet lending, we're now doing kind of fundraisers of one hundred and fifty, two hundred. I mean, in one case, we recently done a syndication facility for an entrepreneur of one point six million, and we raised that for them in the space of seven months, and they're going on to employ you know, close now to sixty. 60 odd, you know, 60 odd people yeah. from the same communities that they're from. So when I think about the success stories and I think about the case studies, it's, it's our whole portfolio. Yeah. We've, we've actually grown with our portfolio. And um, I, I think if we remained kind of lending from our balance sheet, I don't think we would have been able to con- continue doing our business because they were growing so fast yeah. <laughs> um, and they still continue to grow. And, you know, some of them will kind of, I'm guessing we're going to go on and hopefully become funders. unicorns um, in one day. And yeah, like you said, be, become funders. Um, say, how do I put money back into this platform to help someone that was like me three, four years ago? So, so yeah, I mean, case study wise, I can probably um, send you a whole list. Well, yeah, I know there's some on the Lendo.com website. So if people wanted to go and see those case studies for themselves, see some of the the work that you're doing there and follow the stories, maybe get involved. Where's a, a good place to to keep up to date with what Lendo's doing? Definitely our LinkedIn, um, our Instagram, and also we're, we're not, on Twitter as much as we should be, but uh, hopefully that would change. So I'll say our Twitter as well. And then of course the website, www.lender.com. We do have a YouTube page as well, where we've got a few case studies and hopefully we'll be refreshing that page with a few new case studies. So you can see the people that have gone from a hundred thousand to a couple million. Perfect. And a big update behind the bike shed next week, uh, as far as the show comes out, but I'll put that all in the show notes. Debbie, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. No problem at all. Thanks so much, Brendan. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.